message, and honestly, it's the same message we still preach today, that you are in your sin, and as someone who is in sin, what you need to do is repent and come to the Lord, acknowledge your guilt before the Lord, receive the grace that He desires to give you. So this is kind of their message, so to speak, to repent, and uh, the only other person at this time with any kind of message uh, at all like this is John the Baptist. Um, and uh, he's kind of referred to as the Baptist. It's not his last name, because that'd be kind of a weird last name, right? Uh, uh, John the Baptist is actually a kind of a reference title because he was baptizing people. So his name, John there, and then, and, and then uh, 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 he baptized a lot of people to tell them to repent and be baptized, be cleansed of your sins. So he would baptize people. He even baptized Jesus at one point. Uh, and this is how he gets his name. And a little bit of a Backstory on John uh, is John was kind of this like, he was really a one of a kind. In Matthew's gospel, when it talks about John, the way it starts it off in chapter 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent for the kingdom of God, uh, uh, or the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so his message was very similar. It was the very first time this message had basically gone out. It's before Jesus had really started to come out and preach. John was already preaching this message. Uh, uh, And this is kind of what aligned them two together, where we can see John and Jesus are the same. They're the same message coming out of both. Uh, He would further eventually tell everyone that someone was coming after him, right? And so we know how kind of John's life spans here. He knows that John is just setting someone up. Right, We know that Jesus is that someone, and so John's whole ministry, uh, the whole main part of his message, everything he existed for was to platform Jesus. That's it. By the way, that's awesomely selfless, right? Like your whole ministry exists to platform another man. That's so selfless. It's powerful. He preached powerfully. Uh, He was a powerful type individual, and a lot of it had to do with how he lived, it also had to do a lot about how he looked. I mean, there was a lot of weird things about John, right? And again, just looking back in his backstory, if you look in Matthew, again, you keep following those verses down in chapter 3. Around first, vo- first uh, 4, it says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. Now, that's not normal. <laughs> Even people around John's day were like, man, that dude's weird. Right? I mean, like that, nobody dressed like that. You run around in some camel skin with a leather belt, eating bugs, dipping bugs in honey. By the way, if you ate bugs, you're probably dipping in honey too. That sounds like probably why the honey's in, in there at all. Come on. Right? John came from a strange place. John came from the desert. And you know, the interesting thing about when we say the desert in church, we often think, yeah, symbolically, that's where he lived his life. No, man, it was the desert. Like, real thing. Like, sand and dirt and rock, the whole thing. It wasn't like he symbolically lived in the desert, although he kind of did that as well. But he actually lived in the desert. And desert living, listen, it had produced a man who solely lived on God for all of his food, for all of his provision. Nobody wants to grow up this way, by the way. Nobody, like, desires this. As soon as I get 18, I'm moving straight to the desert and living like a homeless man. Nobody thinks like that, right? I mean, it's a very strange thing that calls him out into this place. Very strange thing. This man is not your typical man. This man is a forged individual. Somebody has taken a raw material and hammered it down into something sharp. He's different than most. 
right? Isn't it also ironic, though, like when we learn this about John, we hear this about his backstory. Isn't it ironic that we just got through reading last week about how Jesus sent his disciples out? And remember, he told them what? Don't bring anything. Trust God for all your provision. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep. Don't worry. Don't bring any food. Don't bring any money. The only thing you can bring is a walking stick to keep your body upright. That's it. But John had already knew this, right, from everyday living. He lived in a place where if God, by the way, that's how you end up eating locusts and honey. God, I'm starving. We'll eat this. This is there for you. Eat it. Okay. Well, I'll send you honey so it's not too bitter. Right? And he's thankful. And John, you don't hear a bitter word come out of John. John's thankful for the provision, right? And this made John a powerful, powerful preacher. Powerful. You could literally see the difference between John and everybody else, right? Camel's hair, uh, uh, shirt, dress thing. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how that works. I'm pretty sure you didn't sew like a camel suit. I don't know how that works. I mean, when they say with a belt for a thing, I'm, I'm assuming this thing like a poncho thing with like a belt around it. That's what I assume, right? But you could see the difference between John and everyone else. You know what else? You could hear the difference. Between in John's preaching compared to anybody else too. He had the confidence of a man who'd been alone with God. He had the confidence of a man, the assurity of a man who'd spent quiet hours with God, who had trusted God, who had seen God do amazing things, right? When you walk that much with God, trusting him for everything, your food, your water, your clothes, and God constantly keeps providing and constantly keeps doing things and, and setting you up and creating these things, it doesn't take long to start walking in confidence. Come on, man. When you trust God for everything and God keeps supplying all your needs, right? It doesn't take long to walk in a confident nature, right? There's a great line in a song that Chris Tomlin wrote. I'm trying to remember the song, <coughs> uh, the name of the song. But in the, in the, one of the lines of the song, I always love the line. Uh, it's uh, when, when, uh, when faith uh, uh, when my faith becomes my sight. And in, the, in that line, when faith becomes my sight, what the writer's trying to imply in that song is to say that one day, one day when, when faith right now, faith is what guides me right now. I can't see all the things God does, so I trust that God is doing them. But there will come a day when I will see it all, and I will no longer need faith. There will come a day where I no longer need faith. And so I'm reminded this. When I look at John, I see somebody who walks in such confidence and such boldness as a man who's seen God. He's experienced God to such a way that when you talk to John, there's no doubt God's real. I've met a few guys like this. My brother-in-law was one. When I first met, came to Jesus, I've told you about it. Like My first response to Joy, she goes, what do you think about all this Jesus stuff? I said, I don't know. But I tell you what, there's no doubt like that guy's, like he acts like he's seen him in real life. I, he was that confident. That assured, by the way, he still serves Jesus because he's still confident. I mean, he's so confident that Jesus is real. And, and it, listen, it wasn't just the low, the people on the low uh, uh, ring, uh, the low rung or whatever you want to call it. Even the Pharisees and the religious teachers at that time, they actually came to hear him. Again, you, you keep going down Matthew 3, verse 7 records them coming to witness all the baptisms. Like, hey, I want to see it too. Hey, there's this awesome thing going on in the desert. Everybody's flooding out there to see this guy preach in this camel skin uh, suit, you know, covered by a leather belt and eating locusts and honey. And he's preaching and people are falling down crying and begging to be baptized in the Jordan. 
I mean, like, that's crazy stuff. They're like, uh, where do we get that kind of influence? How come we can't preach like this? How come every time I get up and read the scroll on Sunday, everybody falls asleep and tells me, oh, it was a good message, but they can't remember what it was, right? But here's a man out there on the side of the mountain going, man, you need to get your life right. And to the, even what's funny is like, right, he doesn't hold any punches with these guys. If you keep going along, one of the first things he says, this is how you know that the religious teachers and priests of their day started to come along. He was like, you generation of vipers. Like, he just called you out. Yeah, you who extort the people for money. You who are abusing the church for the sake of their money. You who just want power and you want your nice place and your nice thing and you're abusing everything God's given you for the sake of uh, 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 living a life of luxury and everything like that. I mean, he calls them out. He doesn't hold any punches, right? It's, it's, it's interesting to me. And, and one of the things that always makes me cling to John the Baptist is God uses an outsider oftentimes to come clean the inside which is hard for the inside to get. The inside never likes the, that kind of thing. The inside of the church always wants church folk to deal with church things. But God often uses outside of things to deal with the church. And he usually does it as a rebuke. And here's one right here, man. John is, he's a different kind of guy, right? And they were scared. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even say anything against this guy, right? Because most people just said, hey, man, John's a prophet. John's a prophet. There's no doubt. Like, John's a prophet. He's way too powerful. People just, like, fall out at his words and are begging to be in the water, man. They're, like, they're confessing all kinds of stuff, man. Everything. I mean, you don't want to go down. You can't take your kids down there to the water because they're confessing so much crazy stuff, right? You, you take them down there, and they're just, uh, it's, it's crazy stuff. And, right, they're getting, uh, uh, they're, 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 he's baptizing people left and right. And you know what's interesting to me? They're all scared of him. He's so bold. He's so confident. He calls out everybody, the little guy to the big guy. Doesn't matter. He calls them all out. But they're all scared of him. They're all terrified. We're not about to call him anything else. I mean, like, they ain't scared of Jesus, but they're scared of John. We're not about to raise up anything against John. Why? Because everybody thinks that guy's a prophet, which is amazing to me, considered, you know, John had no miracle. There's, like, no miracle in John's ministry. He didn't raise anybody from the dead. He didn't heal anybody's ears from, so they could hear. He didn't release the tongue and somebody speak. He didn't raise anybody from the dead. No little girls coming back. No Lazarus. None of that stuff. John doesn't come back to life either. He dies when he dies. It's, it's interesting that they were so scared of this guy and yet not scared of Jesus. And this is our backstory. This is what we know of John the Baptist. And he was a powerful man with like a six-month ministry. Six-month ministry. It's about the, it's about the expanse of his, of his ministry. Man, can you imagine the trust that God had to hold the man? Go, listen, I'm, I'm, you're going to be like a a gigantic bonfire, you're gonna be like, oh, and you're going to be out that fast. And, and they're going to long to see it again, right? But this is what I'm going to hand you, John. Can you be faithful with it? Yeah, I can. Maybe that's why he needed that desert living, because what comes out of the desert is a man just incredible. This leads us where we're at today in Mark 6. If you've got your, your Bibles open, you're in Mark. We're going to be in 6, verses 14 through 29. I'll let you give a few minutes here as I continue to sweat. Dance too much playing the guitar. Are we there? Say amen. amen. I like it. King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name had become well known. And what he'd heard about is Jesus basically sending out his disciples. This message is starting to go out. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, 
He said, John, whom I beheaded, has raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. And he had had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought it back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it at the tomb. So all this news is spreading about Jesus. The work of his disciples, they're all, it's all been going out. Remember, he sent them out in pairs. They've gone out. They've been telling this message. And, and some of this stuff is starting to take root. Because even, even the people in high up know who Jesus is. It's starting to get out who Jesus is. It's starting to stir things. Because here's the thing is, man. We, one thing we know, man, because Jesus is always hanging around the poor. He's always hanging around these, this, the, this, the lower class. It's already stirring there. And by the way, what we see now here, because he knows who Jesus is, it's already stirring the high, upper class too. This message that Jesus has is stirring places low and high. And King Herod, he goes into crisis mode as he believes what he's done to John is coming back to him. Can't blame him, right? Doing bad stuff. Uh, I mean, Herod was living in sin with his brother's wife. He was a king. Most people tend not to confront kings or people in high places, right? You ever heard somebody say, you better not say that. They're kind of in a place of authority above you. And if you say anything, they'll do that kind of thing like that, right? Funny how John's been like, I don't care. Can you see John like go bold like that? Hey, John, you probably, like, Herod could kill you. Mm-hmm. He'll die in his sin and go to hell if I don't say something. I mean, I, I really think John really thought like that. He, he, he stirred things, right? Um, years of living, I think, alone with God had placed John in a place where all of a sudden John um, didn't fear men, not as much as he feared God. And because he feared God more than he did men, he was able to say things and act in such a way and, and do things that other people can't do. Because at the end of the day, he wasn't worried about himself. Well, what happens to me? Listen, look at the guy. He obviously doesn't care about clothes on his back, and he doesn't care about the gourmet food. What else are you going to get with this guy? Kill him? Obviously, he doesn't care about that either. I'm going to tell you right there, that's a man who lives. I remember a book one time that says the man who's reconciled with his death is a man who can actually live. Man, when, you, when you're no longer scared of dying, what can this world do to you? 
you could say and do things that nobody can do. Incredible things. And Herod had been living in sin and living with his brother. It was, it's a horrible thing, right? And John, you know, he doesn't let in. He just doesn't let up, man. He just keeps preaching. You know, eventually Herod comes to listen. Can you imagine this? Herod in front of all the people and he comes out like, and yeah, oh, I'm talking to you too. Oh, no, 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 no. Just everybody, I'm talking to you, man. You can't be marrying your, your brother's wife, bro. That's not right. What happens to him? I mean, what are you doing, man? And, and, and it, it's just, and he does it like publicly, <laughs> you know, otherwise there wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> you don't get locked up for saying things in private. You get locked up when you say it in front of everybody, right? John didn't care. He didn't care about being in prison. He didn't care about those things. Like he's, he's sold out on God, right? And, and, and here's the thing. Here's who he really made mad. He didn't make Herod mad. Who'd he make? Herodias mad, right? Because no one can hold a grudge quite like a woman. Oh, you ain't got to amen that one. I wrote that in my notes. The sin of Herodias was so great. And she so greatly wanted to justify it, right? Because listen, she ain't married nobody. She just didn't want to. One like Herod was like, oh, I'm going to plot and plan to have my brother's wife. You don't see her upset at all in any of this story. She's not like, I can't believe it. Herod made me. It's not even my fault. No, uh She's, she is a person who's already moved past, like, I'm ready to justify all my decisions and all my actions. In so much that this, I will pimp out, sorry for that word, it just seemed like the right word, but I will pimp out my daughter in front of these grown men and let them grovel all over her just to get what I want. Mom of the year right there. She basically plots to kill John through this. And this is, by the way, women, this could be a whole other lesson too. She does this by shaming her husband in front of his peers. I, I could be a whole, I could like do a marriage seminar off that just whole thing right there. She shames him in front of everybody else to get him. By the way, guys do that too. So women don't think that's a one-sided thing. Guys, you ever notice how guys ask you to go somewhere while they're, all their buddies are sitting there saying, so you become the evil person, right? Guys do it too, all right? Girls do it and guys do it. We are willing to shame each other to get what we want, man. When I tell you the heart is wicked, the heart is wicked. Right? And right now, Herodias goes, man, this is how we're going to get John's head. I'm going to send my daughter out there in some scadly dressed clothes because I know in the end, the only reason a guy marries his brother's wife is because he's a pervert in the first place. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to parade my daughter out there in front of all them dudes, and then they're going to go out, and they'll, like, give me whatever I want, which they did, and they walked right into her plan. It's an ugly story, right? It's so ugly story. This is how you know, like, the Bible's true, because if we wrote stories, we don't tend to write stories that are, like, awful. We tend to omit some of the awful things. But it's there. She, she, she puts her husband in this position, and, and she, wants, she applies, basically, if he doesn't commit to this, he's less of a man. And in front of his friends, he's like, uh-uh, man, we got to get it done. Oh, I would have done something so different, but whatever. That just means you're not a man at all. Couldn't take charge of the situation because you're not a man. And so, and here's the thing is, I, one of the things I struggle with too, if, if Herod is so wicked, why is he so hesitant here to kill him? I mean, that's a valid, that's a valid question. I mean, that's one of the things as I was reading things like, why would, I mean, it seems like he doesn't want to. I mean, he's like, yeah, he called me out, but man, that guy can preach. 
you know, by the way, which proves that uh, and if, if uh, you know, if, if you think about preaching in any way, it just shows that you can preach and even people who are living in their sin that you're actually calling out can totally listen to you and st- still keep living in sin. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's like, oh, I just love to hear the guy. Oh, I'm not changing my life. But he's got awesome words. Guy can speak, but he's got a gift. Right? I mean, that's how this guy was. I love listening to John. He's awesome. Oh, I got to kill him. Man. I mean, come on. This is, it's fascinating, right? Verse 20 reads, Herod feared John and protected him. Knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, it says he liked to listen. Now, cool thing is other translations, when you actually look at this, the New Living says fear, but the, the, the NIV says respected. And so I, I looked up the word, and in the Greek, it really means to be reverenced. By the way, this same word shows up in different places, but they don't call it uh, uh, respected. They call it reverence, and it's often used, the same word is often used to talk about God. How we fear God, how we reverence God, how we respect God, how we hold Him in such high esteem. That's what that word is. So when it says he feared John, it wasn't like, I feared John, because John be like preaching fire, stone, fire and brimstone, man, and like I feel my soul burning every time he talked. It wasn't like that. It was like, this guy's a good man. And I know him to be a good man. And everything about him is good. He's calling it like he sees it. You can obviously tell that God is upon him. I, I at least respect that much of him. I, I can see that much. Right? And so there's this, what I love about this is, by the way, this is a godly attribute. Those who are around God, those who revere God, also come, listen, you become revered by others. When you follow after God and you live in a way that's holy and righteous, you become revered by others. This is why pastors get put up on pedestals and other people who, uh, deacons and things get put up on pedestals because if, you're, if you truly are living according like, like the deacon criteria according to like First and Second Timothy as they're listing out in there, being a man above reproach and living a righteous and upright life, then you will be. It'll just happen. Why? Because people will see your life and want to imitate it. Now whether they can or not, that's another story, but listen, they'll want to, they'll desire to, just much like Herod. Now like he didn't change but he at least saw the life. He was able to at least see it. He revered John. He respected John. So when I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about all, all of the stuff, you know, that, that we come across here, you know, we, we all know the story of John. He, he, he dies and his head's cut off. We, we, we know this story. But the thing that I walked away from this as I began to read it was, it was immediately was, man, what am I respected for? I mean, do I share those same qualities? John was true to form. He lived his message, no doubt about it. If John said, God will provide your needs, you looked at John with the camel hair and the leather strap, right? With his locusts and honey going, it's enough. I know you've been told you need all these things for Christmas. But God has supplied your needs and it's enough. I tell this story all the time. I think I'm going to share it on Facebook because I don't think we hear it enough. Uh, but it, it's a story of marketing, actually. It's not even a, a Christian story at all. It's all to do about marketing. And they talk about it when, it, when, when, it, when the, the idea of marketing comes up. And it's about a story of a business back in the 60s who decided they were going to take their business into a foreign country where the cost of living is low. It says, listen, we'll pay these guys in a month what it will take them six to eight months to make. 
no, it's, and it's still four times cheaper than we have to pay for American working, right? American hours, American dollars. So we're going to send all this work out there, build a factory out there and do it. And they get out there and they build the factory. Some of you have heard the story, but just as a reminder, they build the factory and they get it out there and they pay these guys, right? And after the first month, you know what these guys do? They quit and they go, woohoo, you got to work for seven more months. They're like, yes, best job ever. We just work twice a year. Call it good, right? And the, and the guys that owned it were like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? You know what they did? It's true. They went and got Sears Roebuck catalog, handed them to every single employee they had. All of a sudden, they had to work every month because there were things that they needed that they didn't even know they needed because they looked at it all the time. I had this conversation with uh, Mark the other day. We're doing taxidermy and stuff. We're talking about deer, and I was like, listen, man, it's just if, we get, if I get a deer this year, great. If I don't, then I don't. He goes, you know, that's right. He says, man, I've had years where I didn't get deer. I said, me too. I've had years. He goes, man, but it's hard. We're on Facebook. I'm all part of these hunting things on Facebook, and everybody's got an awesome deer but me. And so I walk around frustrated and angry and mad because everybody's got one, and I don't. And that's such a lie. It doesn't matter. That's stuff that doesn't matter, but because my eyes see it, my eyes covet it. He covets it. How do you think Herod ended up in this? Man, you ended up with the other guy's wife because you kept looking at her more than you were looking at anything else. That's how that starts. How do you end up in a promise, man, that you won't get back out of because you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at? Doing things you shouldn't be doing. John's message, you could see it. You could see his life. You wonder why he's respected, why Pharisees and all them were scared to talk to him the way they were? Because you could see it with him. What does he have to lose? Nothing. What is he gaining? He wasn't making anything. He didn't take any money from anybody. He looked poor the entire time. He lived out. You could see, physically see his message being lived in his life. You also could hear it. You could hear his message. You could hear it in his voice that he was a man who'd been with God. You could hear it in his voice that he is a man who prayed. You could hear it in his voice that he was a man who understood sin and the consequences of sin. You could hear it in his voice, the confidence that he had in God and the power by which he moved in God. You could not only see, so he was respected not only for what they saw, but he was respected for what they had heard him say and how it lined up to everything they saw. And, and it's, 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 it's all interesting, too, because, I mean, the whole time he doesn't look like he's a guy who's like, well, man, see how good I had it? I mean, he, he's totally contrary to our life. You, you understand that? Because when we do things good here, we, we, uh, we financially gain from it. And success, or what we define success, is how we define whether we've done good or bad. By the way, how do you define that in John's ministry? Let's just take the church things today, the church metrics today, and apply it to John. All right? At the end of the day, I mean, he had a handful of followers. So, no, I don't think he's going to make it to our next conference. He's not going to be able to make a conference speaker. He never wrote a book. No, I don't, I don't, he, he wouldn't be considered a good preacher or teacher uh, in, our, in our church metrics today. He never had a building. Okay, so no, once more, he, he, he didn't do well in our church metrics today. He spent more time yelling at people, basically, and telling them to repent. That message doesn't work today. 
that's an ugly thing to say, but you show me the church that preaches that all the time. That was his message. By the way, all of his messages, however many there were, were all summed up with what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. <laughs> Can you imagine us coming to him today? Listen, man, I just want to tell you something. It's, it's not really culturally relevant, John. Bro, do you see how the people are living, the Roman oppression? We need to teach them to live under authority. We need to teach them to what God says about living under authority. We need to teach them that there's hope and that God is sending someone later. And he's like, shut up and repent. Repent now. Get your heart right. If your heart ain't right, it doesn't matter what you're reading in your Bible. You better get your heart right. John, John is like, man, he's like a surgeon. I'm going straight to the problem. I, I, I don't need your money. I don't need that. I'm, everything is sufficient. Right? And you saw it. You experienced it, man. And so I, I kept asking myself, man, what are you respected for? Am I, am I living out my message? Are you living out yours? And if, and if so, what is your message? What is God saying through to you? What does your life speak about Jesus Christ? Because, by the way, that should be the amplifier, right? That Christ's name be exalted in our life. If so, how does your life exalt and amplify the name of Christ above your own? Above your own. There's a lot of things, I think, in ministry where it's gotten messed up and skewed in that area. We think that we're, well, listen, I, uh, did, man, I wrote books, and I was conference speaker, God, da-da-da, and God's, I think, at the end of the day, be like, man, I would... <laughs> I just wish my name would have been as known as yours. I, I really do. I, I think there's some things that have gotten skewed along the way, and if we're not careful, then some of the things just get out of balance in our life. I'm not saying those things are bad, guys. I read books too, and there's some good ones out there. I'm not saying those things are bad, but we got to challenge our heart always to the message of these things. Right? I, I saw something come up, and I was like, oh, what is this? And I remember on Facebook, it was like, and it was a real nice, neat picture, which was always attracting because I always think, oh, all right, this is good. I just, it drives me nuts to see the nice little pretty pictures of all this God thing. And so I like look at it and I was like, and it's just this whole marketing ploy to sell me something that basically is already in the Bible, but they say it better, you know, kind of thing. And I should buy this thing because they say it better. Uh, all that stuff drives me crazy. But how does it show up in our life? How does it show up in your life? If I asked others what they thought about your principles or your ethics or what your life message is, what would they say it is? Those are good questions, and if you're a journaling person or you're a person who writes notes, those are things you should be asking yourself. Maybe that's the one that sits on the fridge you ask every day, what does my life message say? Or, and, and, and whatever that is, maybe you need to be reminded of it when you go out uh, to work or when you go to anything else, what is your life's message? Can I tell you, like, I hope that when I go to work, every time I go to work, I work with some guys, uh, they're all wonderful gentlemen right? They, I, I believe they love Jesus, although they live in a way sometimes to me that seems contrary to that. Now, I'm trusting Jesus is going to work all the contrary stuff out. I'm not there to judge them, but what I am there to do is love them and try to be the example of Christ to them, right? Which at some point means that, guess what? I don't get invited to some of the parties. <laughs> you know, I'd be like the Debbie Downer. I told them, listen, guys, it's okay, man. I won't walk in there and judge you. Somebody's got to drive you guys home. I don't want you dead, that's for sure. You know, so I, I, I mean, like, the, these are some of the things. What is my life message? But I'm not going to condemn them. You're not going to hear that out of me. I'm not doing that now. I love them. I work side by side with them. I want to be the gospel to them. I want to love them right where they're at, just like Jesus loved me right where I was and accepted me just like I was. And over time, because I trusted him, he changed my life radically changed my life, but changed my life nonetheless.
Everyone saw how John lived. You could hear it in his message. You could see it in what he wore. Somewhere he made a choice in his life. Because here's the thing. What we don't realize this about John, and we often forget this when we hear about John. I mean, especially as we get closer to the Christmas story, guys. Jesus isn't the only, right before he's born, his cousin is born, which is John. John is the only person in the whole Bible that the Bible says was born in the womb full of the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and the, the neat thing about John's birth, he's not born to some poor person. By the way, John's born into the good life. John is born into the priesthood. His dad, Zechariah, is in the priesthood. He's, he hears the whole birth story for John starts because where's Zechariah? Praying before the throne. My gosh, that's awesome. It's where every father should be, praying before the throne. And what I love is about that whole story, I always love that story because they say, you know, that, that John was, uh, or that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old in age, like to the age where like you just don't have kids. And then the favorite thing about that whole story is that God sits there, it's a quiet moment, the incense is coming up and he's got his little thing over his head as he's praying, you know, in, in Hebrew tongue and all of a sudden, Zechariah, I have heard your prayer. And you know what I imagine Zechariah's like, I, that was like 40 years ago. I'm an old man. I don't, I don't even like other people's babies. <laughs> I mean, like, th- there was a time where I wanted a baby. But, like, I don't even know if my wife can handle that right now. She's old. I mean, can, that's a funny thing to me. I've heard your prayer. Oh, uh, you are late. <laughs> We're going to have to, like, improve the line of sight here going on, man. But I mean, like, so John, I mean, so it's a funny story. And then John's born it, right? And, and, he, and, and the funny thing, Zechariah is so stubborn about all of this that God says, all right, I'm going to have to just shut your mouth for the entire uh, uh, nine months here. You talk too much, Zechariah. You're, you're, you're messing up what I want to do for you. By the way, praise God. God will just do something like that rather than take back the blessing. How about I just rather punish you and shut your mouth right now rather than take this blessing from you? Shut your mouth. You don't see what it's going to become. And by the way, if I tell you what he's going to become and what's going to happen to him, you might not pray anymore. Think about the things that are happening to make all this thing take place. If I tell you your son's going to grow up, he's going to leave the priesthood, totally abandon city and social life to take a place out in the desert where he might die, but he's going to rely completely on God, come back a changed man, live for six months, blow up a nation and get them ready for God and then die because Jesus needs to rise up. He is going to build the the stage. He's going to be hammering and nailed the stage that Jesus is going to stand on and preach from. And if I tell you all of that, Zechariah, you won't stop talking. You're going to way talk yourself out of this thing. This is a blessing for you. This is a blessing. John John chose his life. You get to choose yours. You choose what makes your life. My wife gets angry all the time with me about money. She's like, I just wish you cared a little bit about it. It's not that I don't care about finances or money or those things. I just don't value them as much as I value relationships or or time together, or experiences. If money's what it, like going to Colorado, one of the highest points of, of, of in the last 
five or six years for me is some reconciliation going on with the Marine Corps and the things that happened in my life back 20 years ago, but, but also just being in the mountains, it just, it to me was such a God moment. I just, it was like a man moment too for my guys out there. It's just like, dude, I was walking 14 miles in the middle of nowhere where somebody dies, we just die out there. Awesome, man stuff. There were a lot of wonderful things to that. You know what? It took money to get there. Money I didn't even have. But we did whatever it took. I don't necessarily like money, but I value experiences and I value people more than I do anything else. So my life reflects it. I don't have, I used to, I used to have nice things when that wasn't a priority in my life. But now, the, you know what the nice things I have are? My friends. And you know it too, because that, you're all who I want to spend time with. I could care less about my house. I could care less about anything else. I just want to spend time with my family and my friends. That's all I want to do in life. If I could just do that and we could all just live, I'd be so happy. I'd be so happy. I don't need boats. I don't need trucks. I don't need all the stuff. I mean, those are fun things, guys. But I just need you. And honestly, I think that's the most biblical message I could teach you. Because <laughs> I think that's Jesus. Jesus is like, all this stuff's going to perish. You know that, right? But us, we get to go on forever. We, we get to just keep doing this thing called relationship. We get to keep being friends forever. Relationships are the one thing we get to take to heaven. John chose his life. You have an opportunity to choose you. And I don't know what happened to John that would make him make that choice, just like I don't know what needs to happen in you to make you make that choice. But at some point, God's going to ask for you to exchange some of the things that you love or that maybe you hold dear to take on the things that he loves and that he holds dear. One of the songs that's a, a great song, is called Hosanna, uh, and it's written by Hill Songs. And at the end of the song, it says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Because here's the thing is, once your heart starts to line up with his, the things that he cares about are eventually what you're going to care about. And that's what God wants. Literally, that's what he wants. If we're going to be like Christ, then, then the hearts has to align like Christ. John lived in such a transparent way that when he spoke, you listened because people knew he was living what he was saying. I preach this to the wind. If you have to hide something, it's sin. It's sin. And you should be deathly afraid of anything that you might have to hide. One of the things that happened this year with my daughter, I got a chance to teach her, is we had an opportunity to shoot a really big deer. It was a six-year-old buck, really big, old deer. Uh, 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 I mean, anywhere else, it, it was just a stud of a deer problem is this. Texas Parks and Wildlife says it has to be 13 inches or wider. I don't know that he'll make that. He's tall as all get out, just not super wide. Big, heavy horns, big old gut on it, just big deer. But you know why I had to sit there and talk to her? I said, baby, we are not going to shoot anything for which we can't tell the story about. We're not going to do anything illegal where we would have to hide it. That's not who we are. We tell the truth, and we do what's right, even when it's hard. Even when, honestly, that whole 13-inch rule really doesn't apply to that. What they're trying to do is keep young deer from being shot. That doesn't apply to that deer. But unfortunately, that 13 inches is just 13. It ain't nothing to get around that thing. But we're going to do the right thing no matter what. We have to live in a way that where we can walk fully transparent and not have to hide anything. You might not like all the things you see. I will give you that in my life. But one thing I assure you, I am working on it. I don't like all the things I see. One of the things I, I tell people a lot, I struggle with anger and I struggle with just being mean for the sake of being mean. 
You know one of the things they laugh about me at work? They say, anytime there's a confrontation to be made where we're going to have to face a customer who's angry or irritable or anything else, they're like, just send Jim. Send Jim, do it. Because for whatever reason, whether it's the Marine in me or whatever, there's an adrenaline rush I get when there's a confrontation between two individuals. It's like going back into the firefight for me again. And I am fighting with Jesus over that thing. God, take a tenderizer and beat my heart into submission so that I can walk up to somebody and not be like ready for the adrenaline rush of confrontation, but tenderhearted so that I may break them with your grace and your love and not my fist. (laughs) Oh, I'm the only one like that, huh? It's Christmas. Give it a time. You'll be there. If you'd have shown up on Black Friday, you'd probably been there already, right? Even the wicked like Herod and Herodias and even the Pharisees of the leader and the leaders of their day respected him. People, that, that's the weird thing about if your life, if, if, if your life is righteous and upright, if your life is living in a way that's transparent where they can see your message being lived out, right? Even those who are the wicked and those who are against you will at least respect you. They'll at least respect you. You are who you say you are. I might not like it, but I at least respect it. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's an awesome place to be. It really is. And it shows you in John's life how much that respect, literally without his knowledge, protected him at times. Because it ain't like they locked everything he did. They locked him up eventually. They would eventually cut off his head. But for the longest time, or at least the allotted time he needed, right, that protected him. That's an amazing thing to think about. And isn't this the mark of a man of God? Where he's respected by both those who are like him and those who aren't. Can we get worship back? And so is it any wonder that when we talk about John, that he's referred to as uh, as the, the, the greatest man ever born of a woman? Think about it. That's his life. The greatest man ever born of a woman. Said by the mouth of Jesus. That's like best title ever, right? I mean, somebody should have had the shirt made and given it to John. He could have walked around with it. I am the greatest man born. Maybe that would have been a prideful thing. Maybe not. Right? So here's my question to you this morning. And as we get ready for worship, and, and, I, and I really hope you lay into some worship today, um, what is your message? What is your message? I don't know what that is. I can't define that for you. I, I know it should line up with somehow exalting and amplifying the name of Jesus. But what is that for you? I mean, for this church, I know what it's going to be because God now has spoken, I believe, right? For us, it's going to be you are selfless. Above all things, don't you think that this whole Matthew 6 thing that God took me through, that kind of I've walked us through this whole thing about being selfless and not our name not being out there and our name this, and then all of a sudden God's saying, hey, I think you, 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 you are going to be given this. This is going to be a section of your community by which you are going to lead your community into. You are going to lead the next generation into Christ. But to do that, I need you to be selfless. Listen, man, if if God didn't take me through those journeys, if God didn't have deserts for us at a time, how would we ever get to the place we're supposed to be? How would we ever step on the platform and be like John and speak with boldness and speak with greatness? What's your message? What helps you stand up on your platform and speak with boldness, speak with courage? What are you respected for? Think about that this morning as we worship today.